Please open your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 4. Luke's in the New Testament, book of Acts chapter 4. While you're turning, let me say how good it is for me to be with you all again. My wife and I have always enjoyed coming a little north to worship, even before Katie moved up here. We always enjoyed meeting with the saints. We have known Greg and Cindy for many, many years. I always thought the it was good to be with them and to be with, with you as well. So thank you for coming tonight and for having us worship with you. When Greg texted me about participating in your meeting, he said, uh, I'll ask you on topic. He said, well, just bring your favorite sermon. And I thought, well, I don't know that I've got a favorite sermon that would be at the top of my list. But I, I did bring a lesson tonight that I enjoy preaching. Let me explain why I picked this one. Some uh, people may say, well, how, how, do you, uh, how do you view the Bible? How would you categorize the Bible? How would you um, uh, sort of uh, uh, stereotype the Bible? I said, well, you know, the Bible um, isn't a history book, though it contains many great stories of a historical nature. We could, we could say that. It's not a theology book that you might find in a institution of higher learning somewhere, though it does discuss some theological ideas. I've always thought the Bible, if you want to look at it simply put, it's a book about people, just ordinary people, and mainly their relationship with God. And so I always enjoy studying about and preaching about Bible people, and that's our lesson tonight. So if someone says, well, what what person did you... uh, I want to talk about. Well, you know, we could talk about Peter. He uh, was one of the Lord's apostles, of course. Preached the first gospel sermon. Did a lot of great things in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, he boldly stood with John against the Sanhedrin when they were being fiercely opposed in the church's infancy. We could certainly talk about Paul, the, maybe the greatest apostle, if you want to rank apostles. But he was, he was a, a, a strong persecutor. Then when he was converted, he became a great protector of the faith. He helped found and establish churches that we can read about in the Scripture. And he wrote letters that are part of the Scripture. Those would be some great lessons to think about and talk about tonight. But I didn't pick Peter. I didn't pick Paul. These men did play a great role in the early church. But there's another man that played a very, very vital role in the early days of the New Testament church a lot of great important work he did for God. As far as I can tell, he didn't seek the, the spotlight. He didn't try to grab the headlines. I'm not saying Peter and Paul did either, but, but this, this Christian just sort of seems to me sort of stayed in the background. But without him, the early church would have been greatly hindered. We'll talk about Barnabas tonight. Barnabas is a great Bible character. I think looking at what we can read about him from the Scripture, we can learn a lot of things to, first of all, be impressed with him and appreciate him for the role that he played. But more importantly, to help us mold our own spiritual character. Because if the New Testament church today, if the College View Church in Columbia, Tennessee tonight had more saints like Barnabas, boy, what a church. What a great group of disciples it would be. Let's look at Barnabas tonight. Barnabas, we're going to begin in Acts chapter 4. 
So turn your Bibles there. And we have four quick points tonight. Number one, when we look at Barnabas' story, he helped needy saints. Acts chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 36. Now you'll see in verse 32, the context begins. We have record, especially in verse 34, where there wasn't a needy saint among the early group. They, they shared. They took care of each other. They took care of their own. Then we get to verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the first time we read of Barnabas. He just sort of pops up in the story. We don't have no record of him before this. We don't even know where or in what conditions he was converted. And that's not really important anyway, but sometimes it's, we have that information about some saints, but not Barnabas. He just shows up and here he is. But look at his character. The first time we read of him, he was just an ordinary disciple, but he was concerned about the needs of his brethren. He took that personally. He took that seriously. Holding your place here, look at John's familiar words in his first letter, 1 John. And we learn there what should be a saint's motivation for helping his brother or his sister. 1 John chapter 3. Looking at verse 17, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, John says, let us not love with word or in word and in tongue. That is just to say the words, I love you. It says rather let's love in deed and in truth. So what was Barnabas' motivation for doing this? He loved his brethren. So we need to think about that. You and I do. How much do I love my brother or my sister? Now, we have fleshly family and we've, we have been taught from early on, you know, we, families stick together. And that's true. Families need to stick together. Especially in our day and time, our culture seems so anti-family. We're just being splintered and torn apart by various cultural uh, tug of wars. Tugs of war, I should say. But what about our spiritual family? I'll tell you, Barnabas loved his family. Barnabas loved his brethren. And he proves it. But he had this this piece of land. It wasn't doing him any any good to keep it. He thought, I'll just, I'll sell it. And bring the money to the apostles because my brethren needs that need to be met. And that's more important to help those things, to help those needs, than to me to hang on to this asset, this piece of land. So, first off, we see Barnabas... Helped needy saints. That's a great lesson for us to learn. All right, secondly, Barney helped Barney. (laughs) Maybe that was his nickname. I don't know. That just kind of came out. Barnabas helped uh, uh, strengthen, teach, uh, sort of ground and encourage new converts. We jump now to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And let's look at verses 22 through 24. Now, Barnabas, up to this point, has been in Jerusalem. And I want you to think just for a moment how neat it would have been to be in Jerusalem during the infancy of the church and to sit at the feet of the apostles. Wouldn't that have been great? To listen to them teach. These were the men who were with Jesus. They were His witnesses. And they had been endowed with the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 2. 
and they were the leaders of this infant church, this infant organization. And so just to sit at the feet of Matthew and, and John and Bartholomew and these, these great men. And so Barnabas, to me, was in a prime position. He could have stayed there and kept learning, kept growing in his faith. But that wasn't Barnabas' um, idea, it seems to me, to, to stay uh, at the feet of the apostles and to keep learning and to be in, instructed. And he was a Jew. No doubt he was comfortable doing this. I would have been comfortable doing that. But let's jump into our context here in Acts chapter 11. You'll see, starting in verse 19, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, that was in Acts chapter 7, they made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed Turn to the Lord. So now Antioch's got some things happening. Antioch's on the uprise, on the upswing here. So now verse 22. The news about them, that is this growth spurt in Antioch, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So now here's this disciple. And uh, we, I get the idea that, that uh, he, he, he could do some help, uh, some, some good. He could help with the situation in Antioch. Uh, willing to go to paganistic Antioch. Let's talk about Antioch just for a second and work with these converted Gentiles. Remember, now he's a Jew. Just have a small cutout map here. Of course, there's Jerusalem, and Antioch is straight north up the coast, about some 300 miles. It was a large metropolis, if you will, for that day and time. Large city, a commercial hub of the Roman Empire. And like all big cities, then and now. What do you find in, in big, big cities? Well, depravity, crime, gambling, prostitution. All sorts of lifestyles. A complete smorgasbord of religious ideas. Mostly paganistic. Most of which worship would have been very immoral. Very carnally minded. And in that environment, a modern first century city, in that environment, a simple New Testament church was born. And people are coming out of the world and being taught about Christ how to live better, how to live more fulfilling lives, how to live with a, a view of a heavenly home in prospect. And they need to be taught. They need to be educated. Now, let, let me make a comment here, and I don't mean to divide people. But sometimes I, I believe saints, if they have been raised in homes by Christians, and that has gone on for several generations, and that's a great thing. I'm not knocking that whatsoever. But some of us weren't raised that way. And we've come out of backgrounds. We've come out of nothing. Atheism, agnosticism. We've come out of denominational backgrounds where the simple New Testament truth was not taught for one reason or another. 
And we come to this and we realize this, there's something to this. There's something that's, that's original here and something that's eternal here. And so we, we, those of us who are in that category came out of this, this kind of situation. We need help. We need to be instructed and taught in school. Who, who steps in and does that? Well, brethren do. And here's Barnabas. And he was, he was sent off to this place in Antioch. Let me, let me go back there. There, there we go. Uh, he loved these new Christians. And he was sent by the apostles. And it just seems from the record he was willing to go. Because he loved these new brethren. So we can learn that too. Sometimes it seems like we just don't want to be bothered with teaching new people. And I don't, I don't mean to be sounding harsh or cold by that. But I have, I have known some brethren in the past. They would rather not have to deal with immature new babies in Christ. But somebody's got to teach them. Somebody's got to help them. And Barnabas did that. And I wish we were more like Barnabas in, 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 in that way. When we uh, teach someone and maybe when we convert them. So he worked with new converts and was willing to do that. All right. Now our third point. He accepted the rejected. Back to Acts chapter 9 now. We skipped that chapter a moment ago. And my points are not in chronological order, as you can already tell. I'm just, I picked these and put them in this order for reasons that will come obvious in a moment. But Acts chapter 9 now. Barnabas, like everyone else, had heard about Saul prior to Saul's conversion. Saul was coming back to Jerusalem to face some old friends and some old foes. And you're very much aware, if you know the story of Acts, about his prior behavior. He had been complicit in the stoning of Stephen. Admitted later in one of his writings that he held the cloaks of those who were stoning him. And uh, he, he himself went about persecuting Christians. While you weren't even safe in your own home. It's all learned who you were, that you were a Jew. And you had lined up with this, this blasphemer called Christ. He would drag you out of your own home even and... Haul you off to the authorities. So he was very much at work against the early church. And now by this time, he's come to Christ. And so Saul is going back to Jerusalem. You'll see there in Acts chapter 9. Let's pick up in the, at the last part of verse 19. For several days he, Saul, was, at, uh, was with the disciples of Damascus. And immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, verse 23. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, and is to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening by, uh, in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Now, you get to the end of verse 25, and this is a, this is a TV drama. I mean, Saul's having to escape for his very life. Where's he going to go? Who's going to befriend him? Who can he turn to? 
Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, some of them may say, well, surely the Christians will take him. Look at the record. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. He couldn't even find anybody there who would befriend him. The Jews must have thought that, well, he's a, he's a traitor. And we see that earlier in the verses that I read. They were going to kill him. So he couldn't, he couldn't turn to them. He comes to the Christians, and they don't trust him. He tries to join them, join up with them, and no, we're not, we're not falling for this. This is a trick. This has to be a trick. And so we're not going to play into this, Saul. You're not going to get us on this. So Saul needed someone who believed in him. Verse 27, first two words. But Barnabas, there's old Barnabas again. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him, (coughs) excuse me, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, uh, that is Saul was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas stands up as if to say, Nobody else would raise their hand. Saul, I'll stand with you. I'll, I'll befriend you. Verse 27 is, is, is key here. Now, someone may ask, how did Barnabas know that, Bar- that uh, Saul had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus and that the Lord had talked with him? How did he know that? Well, the record doesn't tell us. Maybe the Lord told Barnabas. Uh, maybe the word got around somehow. All of that is really a, a moot point anyway. The, the fact of the matter is, Barnabas wasn't going to be like everyone else. You know, sometimes Christians, and, and I hate to say this, but sometimes we can be rather cynical, can't we? It's because we live in a world. And the world is full of cynical people. Untrusting. Unbelieving. And uh, if you uh, if you do something wrong... Well, I'm going to hold that against you. It's going to be a long time before I trust you again. I'm just going to tell you that to your face. I hate to say this, but this is a true story. I once knew uh, 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 the wife of an elder in the Lord's church. And there had been some very dramatic episodes that took place in this local church. And it had, it had caused a, a major split. We'll just put it that way. And there were... A lot of things said on both sides of the issue and some extremely hurt feelings. And a lot of members left over how this thing was played out. And I spoke with this sister and her husband about it years later. And she even said to me, you know, if some of those brethren came back, I'd really have a hard time worshiping with them. And that kind of struck me. Um, I'm not saying we don't need to demand people's repentance if sin has happened. And we do. I mean, issues, if, if, if issues at truth are at stake, they need to be dealt with biblically, forcefully if necessary, but always in love for the soul, in love for the Lord, in love for His truth. 
But if those things are ironed out and we still say something like, well, it's just going to be a long time before I trust you again. I, I don't think that's right. Now, Saul, who he was before his conversion, who has not been in a shape as bad as that? We've all been enemies of the Lord before our conversion, haven't we? We've all been in that place. And here he comes now. He is truly converted. He's trying to associate with the Christians. And nobody believes him. Nobody will trust him. He's trying to do things the right way. And they're just not buying it. And sometimes a person just needs someone to say, I'll stand beside of you. I'll stand with you. If you're doing right, now I'm not saying if they're not doing right, that changes the conversation totally. But Saul's trying to do right. He had come to Christ. He had been boldly preaching Jesus in Damascus. He had to run for his life. He's come to Jerusalem, his old stomping grounds, and nobody believes him. His former friends, now his enemies, they're trying to kill him. His former enemies, now his friends, they don't trust him. Where's he going to go? Be a Barnabas. Barnabas said, I'll stand with you. I'll do the right thing because I, I believe in you. And Barnabas certainly did that. So Barnabas was convinced of Saul's conversion. That's obviously clear. And if the Lord received Saul, which he did, then Barnabas is saying, then I'm going to receive Saul. Who am I to go against the Lord? If the Lord has received you and you've been cleansed of your sin and you've obeyed the gospel, then I shouldn't be opposing you either. And that seems to be why he did what he did. He even saw the good that Saul could do for the cause of the kingdom. Go back to Acts chapter 11. We were there a few moments ago. We did not read verses 25 and 26, but I want to pick those up now. Acts 11, we stopped in verse 24 at that description of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So he's still in Antioch of Syria. Now verse 25. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. He found him. Verse 26. When he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called in Antioch. I don't see in this record where Barnabas was instructed to go find Saul. Uh, maybe he was, but Luke doesn't write that. All we know is there's a lot of work to do now in Antioch, and Barnabas is of the mind, I'm going to go get Saul. Be a great helper. Be a great worker for the cause of Christ. I guess I'm trying to illustrate at this point, he didn't, he didn't see his ugly past. He didn't dwell on that. He saw his future potential. And thus, up with him. And talk about a dynamic duo for the gospel's sake. You can't, can't not be impressed. Help but be impressed. Saul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Throughout these early chapters, or these later chapters in the book of Acts. And all the things they did for the cause of Christ. And I'm saying in this point of the lesson, all that began when Barnabas took him who others rejected. It started right there, as far as Barnabas goes. He was willing to take him who had been rejected by others. So he saw his great, his great future potential, not his ugly past. All right, our last point. He gave second chances. And I'm just discussing things that don't require 
an apostle doing this. It doesn't require having the gift of the Holy Spirit, being able to, to do miracles. I'm just talking about ordinary, everyday human behavior. That's why I like studying people. Because the, the Bible is just full of those kinds of things. What do I mean when I say he gave second chances? Barnabas, I believe, was obviously a patient man. And who doesn't need more patience? I know I need a whole lot more patience. The older I get, it seems like I become more and more impatient. He gave others who failed another chance. Now, it would have been very easy to write off John Mark. And we'll go through that text just in a moment. But again, this might be another present trouble in the Lord's church among us today. We just quickly write people off. They fail in one way or another. And maybe the failure that we're, that we're dealing with in our own lives today, maybe it's a big blunder. Maybe it's a huge mistake that's been made. Well, we'll just write them off and we're done with them. And I, again, I'm not saying that if, when, when things happen, the, the Scripture has given the church today appropriate strip, uh, steps to take and certain measures to, to do when, when something happens. We all un- understand that. I, I'm not arguing against that. But some of us are... Sometimes very quick, it seems to me, based on things that I've heard. Maybe you've heard some of the same comments. We'll just write them off. Glad they're gone. And don't ever come back and so forth and so on. That wasn't Barnabas's heart. I'm, I'm here to say that tonight. Barnabas was not one to hold grudges. And some of us are. We just are. And if we do, then shame on us. So what about this, this idea of Barnabas not holding grudges? Well... I believe I can show from the Scripture that Barnabas knew what second chances were all about. And that's why he was so willing to give someone else a second chance. Now, let's lay these out in chronological order. Saul and Barnabas were uh, very central characters in what we've come to call the Jerusalem Conference, Acts chapter 15. So turn your Bibles there. Once you find Acts 15... Then I'll go ahead and, and open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 because we're going to put these two together, which they do go together in terms of the story behind um, Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 15. So just locate Galatians 2 for the moment. Now let's look at Acts 15. You have this idea now where you have some Gentile Christians who have come and the Gentiles are becoming more and more part of the local churches in this, at this juncture of the New Testament uh, era. And so you've got, obviously, the issue between Jew and Gentiles becoming more and more involved. So Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, they were directing that mainly at Gentile Christians. And in Antioch, which was by this time... Saul and Barnabas' home base, that's, that would have been a large contingent of Gentile brethren there. So now they're going to make them Jews first before you can become a Christian. And this was very troubling. Verse 2, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, that means it wasn't a small one, it was a great one. This was, a, this was an issue of truth. This was a moment of truth right here. It's time to debate this. And so they did. When they had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. And they did. And I hold this place here. Go to Galatians chapter 2 now. Paul writes about this later. Galatians 2 verse 1. 
After an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. And Paul writes about this visit to Jerusalem. So they go up to discuss this issue, to hash the whole thing out. And, of course, we know from the Acts record then, they write this letter back in Acts 15. You'll see that uh, uh, Peter speaks and James speaks and Paul and Barnabas speak and the elders and the apostles get all involved and begin to write this letter. James makes his recommendation. Let's write the Gentile Christians about this issue that basically the conference came to conclude that circumcision was not necessary, did not need to be circumcised to be saved. So don't let these Jewish brethren... Uh, trouble you. So the letter begins, you'll see there in verse uh, 23. We won't read the letter, but that's central to the, to, to the story. So the letter begins in verse 22. Um, the, it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. It lists their names when they write this letter. Now drop down to verse 30. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. So they read the letter to these Christians. Tried to, tried to uh, 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 solve this big dilemma that was facing these new Christians. Paul and Barnabas were involved in all that. All right. So they have now returned with the letter. So after they do that, look at verse 35. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. So that's been solved now, so they continue. This, again, has been their home base for a while since they started their journeys in Acts 13. So they keep teaching and preaching. Now, when that's more time has passed by, Peter comes to Antioch. While they're there, back to Galatians 2, look at verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Well, what did, what did Peter do? Well, Paul tells us. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of a circumcision. So they've just, they've just had this conference. This all got ironed out, supposedly. Now here comes Peter. One of the apostles, he comes from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he does this. He plays the hypocrite. That had to be so confusing and so unsettling to the Christians, especially those who were of a Gentile uh, ethnicity. Now, verse 13 of Galatians 2. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas got carried away. He did wrong. Barnabas was as involved in that conference, we keep calling it the conference or that moment up in Jerusalem, as Peter was. But when Peter comes to Antioch and he does this, Barnabas gets carried away. And Barnabas did wrong. Now Paul corrects Peter. He says in Galatians 2, I wonder if he corrected Barnabas. I don't know. But Barnabas got carried away. And his, his, uh, Peter's hypocrisy affects Barnabas. Now, back to Acts 15. Look at the last part of the chapter. That's all been straightened out apparently. 
I, as I understand the story, I don't think Barnabas would have been allowed to continue in the gospel work had he kept being a hypocrite. I think he's repented. I think that's implied. Now, verse 36 of Acts 15. We stopped at verse 35 a while ago. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That's a great idea. They had, they had finished that first journey in Acts 14. So they say, let's just go back and check on those brethren. See how they're, how they're doing. Verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now hold your place right here. Turn back to Acts 13. If you're not familiar with what happened, I think most of us are, but just for, for record's sake, look at Acts 13 and verse 13. This is during that first journey, the first missionary journey. Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John, John Mark. He abandoned them on this great work and went back home. Some have conjectured, why did John quit? The reason doesn't matter. We don't know why he quit. Was he homesick? Was he, was he ill? Something happened. I don't think he was ill because Paul is quite against him going. But he quit. He deserted them. So now, back in our text in Acts 15, they both decided, yes, let's go back and visit those Christians again. And Barnabas, if, if, if I'd be allowed just a little bit of, of, a, of, of a theater here. Barnabas says to Paul, hey, let's, let's take John Mark. Barnabas says, or Paul says, we're not taking John. He, he, he left us. He deserted us. And we've got, to, we've got to have somebody who's dependable now. But I want to take John Mark. I, th- I, I think he could do some good. So, verse 38. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39 of Acts 15. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. They had a sharp disagreement. The word in the Greek, and I can't begin to pronounce this word, but it is the origin of our very old English word that literally means a passionate and violent or volcanic eruption. This wasn't just a small disagreement. These two brothers, Paul and Barnabas, they had a sharp disagreement. Barnabas says, we've got to take him. Paul says, we're not taking him. And I can just hear them now. To whereas finally, as you see there in verse 39 again, they separated. And Barnabas takes Mark and goes to Cyprus. And Paul Chose Silas and went the other way. But I can hear Barnabas now saying, Well, Paul, you can do what you want to, but I'm, I'm taking him. I'm going to take him with me. Because he can do some good. Now, someone may say, Why was Barnabas so insistent on taking John Mark? I believe it's in the Colossian letter where Mark is called a cousin to Barnabas. Or he's, he's blood kin. He's kin to him. Someone says, well, that has to be the reason. I'm not sure that is. Perhaps that was part of it. Here's 
Here's what I think. I think because Barnabas had been forgiven a huge blunder in his own life. Remember, he's in Antioch. The letter has been written. The letter has been delivered. That issue was solved back in Acts 15. Gentiles, you do not need to be circumcised. Don't let these Jewish brethren torment you over this and upset your faith. Don't let them do that. It's been settled. Then Peter comes and Barnabas picks up with that and plays the hypocrite with Peter. Barnabas had to be corrected. No doubt that he was. Barnabas got a second chance. He did. And now he's willing to extend the same thing to John Mark who had let him down earlier. And what I'm saying is in the Lord's kingdom today, we need to be people who are like Barnabas. When someone does wrong, maybe it's just a small matter of judgment. Maybe not the best of, of, of ideas. Okay, we can, we can settle that. We can work that out. Maybe it's a huge error like this and it's a matter of truth. Well, that can be dealt with too. But if someone clears that up, someone straightens that out, are we going to write them off saying, well, you're not good anymore? No, let's not be that way. Barnabas gave Mark a second chance. We all need second chances. And may I even dare say third chances and fourth chances and a hundredth chances? All of us do. He had been forgiven a huge blunder. He's willing to forgive John Mark again. And say, look, I need you. I can use you. Come with me to this great work and help me in the cause of Christ. Now, just as, as a, a final passing note here. Uh, Paul didn't hold grudges either. Because if you read Second Timothy chapter 4, he talks very positively about John Mark. says, he can be of use to me. Bring him to. So, Paul, I'm, I don't want to paint Paul in such a bad picture that he never forgave John Mark. It's just at this moment in Acts 15, Paul was insisting not taking him, and he did not. But Barnabas insisted to take him. But Paul didn't hold a grudge either. All right, you've listened very patiently. The kingdom today is in desperate need of Barnabases. Is that a, is that a word? Men like Barnabas. More disciples like Barnabas. How do we get them? Where do we go to find our Barnabas? Well, we're here tonight. We've got to become like him. It's plain and simple. He's just an ordinary disciple. He's, he, he's called an apostle in the scripture. He, he did great work in the early days of the first century church. Yes. But he just doesn't seem to be at the, at, at the headlines like Paul and Peter were. But look at all the good he did. Look at the great work for the cause of Christ he did. He helped others. Because Christ helped him with his need. He taught others, new Christians, because Christ had taught him the way of a better life. He accepted the rejected because Christ had accepted him. And he gave others a second chance because the Lord gave him a second chance. See, all that he did at least these four points in our lesson tonight, were all connected to his relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the basis of it right there. And that's why he's such a great character to emulate. So, yes, as we, as we wind this down, there, there's always going to be a need 
for great assertive leaders, elders, deacons, gospel preachers, faithful sisters who will stand by these men if they're their husbands, or maybe even a, a, a single woman and you're involved in the teaching program where you go to church and you teach Bible. All those things are just tremendously important. We would never denigrate any of those functions, ever, because they're vital to the success of any local church. But there's a great need to be an encourager like Barnabas too. I want to close with Romans chapter 12. Look with me at verses 4 through 8. Chapter 12. Look at verse 4. We'll read down through verse 8. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us, or each of us, is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Notice these functions. They're not all uh, of a miraculous nature. Some are. But in fact, in this context, most are not. You and I, you can be a Barnabas. And as I said earlier, if, if local churches had more people like Barnabas, working, diligently serving in the local church, That'd be a great local church. It really would. That so, such a person would be the backbone of that local work. Such a person could be depended upon for so many things, both of a of a public a front row nature and some of it back in the background. Hey, all doing it, all we do for the glory of God and for the cause of His kingdom. Barnabas was that kind of guy, and I love studying, thinking about Barnabas. Hope you have found the lesson tonight helpful to you. So, what about you? Are there issues in your life where you need to be more like Barnabas? Are you one that holds a grudge? Are there issues or is there an issue that has kept you separated from maybe even someone in this room tonight? Or maybe it's someone in your literal family and you're still at odds over some issue that took place Yesterday, last month, last year, ten years ago. I don't know what your situation, but the Lord certainly does. I'm just encouraging you, and I'm encouraging myself in a lesson like this. We read about this Christian. Uh, no, he's not divine. He was a person, just like me and you. He faced temptation. He had to, he had to deal with the pressures of, of living day to day in a world that's under the sway of Satan, but he's living for the Lord. It's just like me and you. He's just a a guy, just like me and you. But look what he did. Look how we tried to live. And I'm asking tonight, can you mold your life, of course, first and foremost, in in the image of Christ, but, but how about this brother who lived after Christ? Can you be more like Barnabas? Is there something that you need to take care of tonight? Privately, then go home and take care of that. If there's something between you and someone else, go home and take care of that. That's what Barnabas would have done. Maybe it's of a public nature. 
Maybe you've sinned publicly and you've brought reproach upon the name that you wear, the name of Christ, and upon the institution of His church, and even specifically this local church. Maybe you've done that. And that's just, maybe it's eating at you and gnawing at you. I don't know. But take care of that. Or tonight, if you've never obeyed the gospel, if you're not a New Testament Christian, maybe you're a religious person, and we're, we're thankful that you came tonight, very thankful that you came, but you have not rendered obedience to the gospel of Christ, the simple New Testament gospel. Can we help you with that? If you continue to be separate from the Lord, then, my friend, you're lost. It, takes, it gives us no pleasure to say that, but you're lost, and you're headed for a devil's hell. That's where you're headed. Solve that great dilemma tonight. You can leave this place. We'll baptize you into Christ tonight. You can leave this place rejoicing better than you were when you came in. Wouldn't that be the great thing for you to do? We're going to sing this hymn to invite you, to encourage you. Whatever your need would be, come to the front while we stand and sing this hymn to invite you this evening.